0: everybody. Welcome to uh, class number one of Experiencing God. This is a, a, I don't know if you've had a chance to read through it yet since this is day one. Um, We're going to cruise through the syllabus so you know kind of how the class is going to run. But um, I have loved what I've read so far of this book and my preparations and studies for it. Um, it's been really enriching. So I'm excited that we get to share about it with you guys and, uh, looking forward to what tonight has. So why don't you, does everybody have a syllabus? Let's start with that. Perfect. We, uh, if you need one, just stick your hand up and we'll run one back to you. Um... So we're just going to cruise through this really fast. Um, one thing I want to note is that some of you have signed up for the Trinity class, which is currently scheduled for May 9th. It's a scheduling conflict, though, because it happens to be when the women's luncheon is. So that's going to be being rescheduled for either May 16th or May 30th, um, because the 23rd is uh, Memorial Day weekend. So if you're signed up for that, don't fret. We will still be doing it, but please note it's not going to be on the 9th. Um, Okay, so Experiencing God, this class is worth three credits. If you haven't yet registered, you can either do that tonight, let me know, and I can change over one of the computers so that you can register for the class, but uh, you can also just register online, you can even do it from your phone, but at influencechurch.org backslash I-S-O-M. If you haven't signed in tonight, you're going to want to do that before you leave so that you can get credit for being here. No, good question. So. If you signed in tonight, that does not automatically register you for the course. So you have to register for the course and then check in each night. So those are two separate ideas. You only have to register once, of course, and that's just so that we have your email and that we know that you are intentionally taking the class for credit. Yeah. Influencechurch.org backslash I-S-O-M If you haven't um, picked up a book yet, you're probably going to want to do that right now, and you can pay me at the break. Um, the book is $20, and uh, we're, we're going to be going through it together each week, and so that's part of why you're going to want to do it, and not this week, but probably, we're thinking in the weeks uh, to come for this course, we're going to be doing small group type of breakout sessions as well as part of the class, so you're going to want to have your book for that, okay? So please bring your book each week, because that's going to be important. We've added in here too, text message notifications. So um, if you're interested in that, I'm gonna have you pull out your phone right now while I explain it. This is so that you can stay up to date with uh, basically the content that we send out in an email, we can then text that to you as well. So let's say you don't have time to really tap into your email. Maybe you're busy at work, but your phone is right there. You can't access your personal email. We'll send you a text message each week reminding you what the assignment is, that the class is tonight, blah, 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 all that stuff. We'll also be letting you know about future classes. So if you look on your sheet right here, all you have to do is text SO ministry, so school of, that's what it stands for, but you put the at sign and then SO ministry to the phone number 81010. So you can do that literally right now um, and then... You will get a text message back that says you've been registered for this course. No, you just put the at sign, just the at symbol. You guys pass the syllabus back, So that's cool, um, and and this will be our ongoing text thread to you. So if you register for. Uh, the texting, it's not to this class specific. It's going to give you news about all the classes so that we can keep you all informed um, and, and and knowledge of what's going on. If at any point you don't want to receive the text messages, you just text back stop, and then it'll take you off the list. Okay? Um, really quick, just to run over the completion requirements for this course so that there's no confusion. In order to receive credit for this course, you must accumulate 8.5 of the possible 12 points. Each class is worth one point, so that's six points total. And each homework assignment is worth one point, so another six points. That's how we get to 12. Furthermore, you must attend at least four of the six classes in person in order to qualify for course completion. So you can miss two days. You may receive half credit for missed classes by listening to the class session on SoundCloud. That link is sent out in every single email that we send you. And then by filling out the missed class makeup worksheet, which is available online under uh, the school ministry page, okay? So for that, you would also just go to influencechurch.org backslash ISOM. Um, You guys are responsible to do that, though, just so you know. We won't be on your tail to get how you do that. We're trusting that you are all adults and can read and uh, don't need that reminder, okay? Missed homework assignments can be made up for half credit until one week after the last day of class. So let's say you can't come next week, so you couldn't check in and say that your homework was completed. And you don't have time to get to it until the next, uh, maybe two weeks later, that's okay. Um, You actually could wait to do all your homework assignments, which I don't recommend. But until a week after class is done, um, you might not sleep, so you might die. I don't recommend that. Um, You can then also see a breakdown of the schedule. This is a, uh, um, it's an easy read, but it's a thick book, if you couldn't tell. And it's broken up into 12 units, and we're going to be covering two units a night since we have six sessions that we're going to be meeting. So um, the page breakdowns are there for you, and then the the unit breakdown as well. Um, I'm assuming that, most of you have not been able to complete the reading either because you just picked up the book on Sunday or because you just picked it up today. Um, that is totally understandable. And so don't worry about it if you haven't completed that assignment. But what I will say is we would encourage you to go back and to make sure that you do complete that assignment um, mostly just for your own growth. Cause that's what uh, that is what this class is really intended to do on that note. We'll start talking about the book. The course objective for this class is to really learn how to open up to the person of the Holy Spirit who is indwelling us and to actively engage with him that means to actively partner with him and that's what you're gonna find in this book. Did I see a hand though? yeah workbook yeah, yeah so if you picked up a um the book. That's the workbook, yeah, which I think most everybody has, if not everybody. Feel free to grab one, then you, we can take care of payment at the break, yeah. Um, yeah, if you picked up the the actual, like, book book, um, uh-huh, that's the one. You're welcome to keep that. If you've got it from Amazon or someone, you can probably send it back for your, uh, and get reimbursed. If you want to read it in junction with this, then absolutely go for it. Um... To be honest, I'm not sure, but I know that we're not going to be um, operating out of the book. We're going to be operating out of the workbook, so if you have the workbook, then, you're, then you'll are then you be good. Um, now, if you couldn't tell, this format for starting tonight is a little bit different than it's been for the past two classes. We're not starting with worship, um, and I'll explain a little bit more of that later. We're going to do worship on the back end, which means that we're going to get started just so that you know We're going to be getting started with the teaching right up front. So we want to encourage you. I know that many of you have to come from work, and it's a a hassle to get here because of traffic and stuff on the roads. But I want to encourage you to show up on time um, so that you are here and present for the entire class, so that you get to hear all the material get covered. Um, Now, the reason why we're doing worship on the tail end is because we're going to be taking about a half hour each night for this class. This book is called Experiencing God, and so we want to actually create an environment in which you can experience God. That means that this last half hour is going to be really a time of contemplative prayer for you, and when I say contemplative prayer, I don't, I don't mean if you're familiar with like contemplative prayer in, in, a, in a spiritual sense. Um, let me just back up. What I mean is more for a time of meditation, so to clear any confusion by me using the word contemplative, more of a time of meditation. Um, you're going to be taking what we cover in this material and you're going to go and you're going to talk to God about it for a half hour. And you can sing while that happens, but our worship leaders are going to be singing um, generally about one and a half worship songs. And then they're going to be singing out of the scriptures that we're actually covering tonight. Um, So just to kind of give you what your whistle for that a little bit, that's what's going to be going on at the end. As they sing, you don't have to sing with them really that time. Again, it's to create a space for you to continue to engage with God um, and I'll get a little bit more into that later. But I do want to say up pre- front, it's not a time to check out, nor is it a time to leave, because um, then you're technically not present for the class. So that's one thing. Um, and this is a component of the class. You can consider this as a prayer project. We're going to be doing weekly prayer projects. Because there's so much material that we're going to be covering, um, we're going to leave it up to you to see what, and the Holy Spirit, to see what he wants you to process. So as you're reading through this tonight, as we cover this material um, what I would encourage you to do is just to remain in a posture of openness to whatever degree you can with the Lord and say, God, what would you have me pray about tonight um, during this last half hour? If, if a half hour if that sounds intimidating, um, I'm going to be giving you a couple of tools, just some, some guidance and what to do during that time if you hit a wall. So we'll be talking about that in a little bit as well. Any questions before we get going in the text? Perfect, okay, then let's pray, Lord, we thank you for this this place, this space, this room, we thank you for this book, we thank you for the material that that um, is within it, and Lord, that there were people years and years ago who were really intentional with uh with wanting to communicate to the church, what it means to um to to know your will and to experience you and to be in relationship with you. And so, Holy Spirit, that is why we are here tonight. Um, We are here for the person of Christ, um, and you are leading us to him. You are um, introducing us to him, and we thank you for that. And we we remind our souls, we remember that that, uh, eternal life looks like knowing God the Father and Jesus Christ him he has sent. And so, Lord, we trust that that's why you have brought us here tonight, that you have brought us here to get to know you more that you brought us here to this place to get to know the person of Jesus. Um, This is eternal life. And so, God, we look forward to uh, the way that you are going to be transforming our hearts through this material. And we pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would open us to that and that you would show us how it is that you want to work in us during this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this book is definitely more about God than it is about you. When we talk about knowing the will of God, a lot of us, and part of the book says this, but a lot of us are wondering, well, what is God's specific will for my life? And what the book is going to suggest is to not ask that question necessarily, um, but more so to, to open up our, our understanding and, and our hearts to the idea that um, what does it look like to do what God is already doing? So not necessarily just what does he want to do in me, but what is he already doing and how can I join with him in that? To some of you, um, a lot of this might seem simple. And that's okay. And I would actually encourage you then to embrace the simplicity of this. Because when I think about this, so much of this really boils down to um, this idea of relationship. And the the most tangible relationships that we can think of are are perhaps the people sitting right next to you, if it's your spouse. Um, Or it's the people that you live with, uh, be that your your children um, or your spouse who's not here or maybe roommates, and they're your best friends, and they've become like family. Um, I don't want to oversimplify things when it comes to our relationship with God, but God was intentional in creating us for community because he is communal himself. As the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity, he has been a communal God, and so we are made in his image, we're created for community, and uh and, and that is something that we can look at. We can look at the communal relationships that we live in here with other humans to really begin to understand the relationship that we have vertically to the Father, to the Son, to the Spirit. So that's why I say some of this might seem simple because some of it will get boiled down, at, at least in my language, and reduced to this idea of think about your, your spousal relationship. Um, and we'll we'll cover more of that as we go through the text. But I want to plant that in your mind as well, just to be thinking of this in the context of relationality. We're created for relationship with one another and with God. And that's how that we need to approach this book. So if you open up to page six, you'll see a uh, apparently that's God on the left there. Except don't be confused, God is spirit. My guess is he doesn't look like this. Verse six, the the scripture memory verse for this, um, this particular unit is John fifteen five. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm gonna say that again. I am the vine, so picture this. I am the vine, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. I am the vine, you are the branches. If man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I was at a wedding a few months ago, and it was on vineyard property, and there was this, uh, this um, bed and breakfast that we were staying in, and, and like we would walk outside the house, and literally there was these, th- this vineyard on this hillside right in front of us. And so I was walking through this vineyard, and I was quoting this scripture, just meditating on it as I walked through, and I Um, I found a a bunch of dried out grapes um, and some of the twigs and some of the leaves. And it meant so much to me because it gave me a really tangible picture of what it was that Jesus was talking about. Here's these plants, you know, they're only really coming up to my chest but jesus was probably walking or standing among these grapevines as he's communicating this point to his disciples and i can just picture this as well with him especially now being in these vineyards of these dried out clusters of grapes that are laying on the ground and these dried out leaves and it's this picture that as soon as you break off the cluster of grapes from its source it loses its supply of life and it dries out and they don't ever get to develop or even if they have maybe they're fully grown grapes um, you cut that thing off, and they actually do shrivel up like raisins. They'll remain on the on on the stem, um, and they'll remain as a cluster. But they're the, just these little dried out pieces of fruit then that have no life in them any longer. And the same is true with the, s- the sticks as well. Any stick that was trying to bear a, f- a flower that would then produce grapes or turn into grapes, rather, um, even those, you know, they're they're broken off from the vine. Of course, they don't have life to them. Part of the idea within this section is that we are to abide in Christ, to remain in relationship with him. So go ahead and flip over to page eight. In this idea that I started with, the essence, this is the second 2nd verse, the essence of eternal life and of this study is for you to come to know God and to know Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Jumping down a little bit, when you obey God accomplishes through you something only He can do. Then you come to know God in a more intimate way by experiencing Him at work through your life. So when we obey God, when we enter into obedience, God does something that only He can do. We're going to see some examples that He provides us with from the scriptures in a little bit. Over on page nine, the uh, third to last paragraph, the Holy Spirit. It's important to remember the Holy Spirit will be your personal teacher. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is one of my um, my favorite, I would say, chapters for talking about salvation. There's this idea within there that um, in chapter 1 says that the, the the things of God are foolishness to the world. Um, so the world looks at what we're doing tonight here in this place and they think that we're fools for doing this. Um, but we know in the Proverbs that the fool is the one who says that there is no God. So the, the world ironically views us as foolish and yet they're the ones who are the fools. And then what it goes on to say in 2.14, 1 Corinthians 2.14, is that spiritual matters can only be discerned by the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is really laboring in the first two chapters, or first three chapters, really, of the book of 1 Corinthians, is this idea of unity within the church, and that the church is to be unified not, uh, not around Paul, uh, not around Peter, not around Apollos, um, not around any kind of other disciple or apostle, but around Jesus Christ. And what he gets at, at a certain point in chapter 2, the beginning of it, he says, look, you didn't believe the gospel because I came to you with eloquent speech. In other words, like, it wasn't that I was super well prepared. I didn't have this great message that um, tricked your mind into thinking or believing what I was telling you. You believe these things because the Holy Spirit revealed them to you. When Jesus asked the disciples who they say he is, and Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus' response to him is that there's only, the only way he could have known that is if the Father had revealed it to him. And we know that the revelation of Jesus Christ, that's, that kind of revelation comes through the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit will be your personal teacher. Um, I, I tried to emphasize this when we were going through discipleship, so if you were part of that class, you might remember me saying, Jesus, we are your disciples, and we're here to learn from you. This isn't about me or Phil or Tammy teaching you guys. This is about us learning together from our our rabbi, and his name is Jesus. And he does that now through his spirit. Jump down to the second to last paragraph there. It says, you cannot depend on traditions, your experience, or others' experiences to be accurate authorities on God's will and ways. What we don't want to do is we don't want to box God into the tradition of the church, to the way that he operated in somebody else's life, or even to the ways that he's operated in our life in the past. He might choose to replicate things that he's done in other people's lives or things that he's done in the church or even things that he's done in your life, but, um, but God is up to doing new things as well in our lives. For example, he only, um, as far as we see in Scripture, he only speaks to somebody through a burning bush once. He only saves the life of a runaway prophet using a big fish once. Um. there's there's more examples that I'm sure we could think of but we don't want to say oh if I'm a runaway then God has to save me through a big fish or a whale um, you know we don't want to say like God I'm not going to do that and so I'm going to run to the other side of the world or the known world at the time I'm going to run to the other side of the world and if you don't want me to do that then you better send something big to swallow me so <laughs> and keep me alive for three days and then spit me back out on shore um, or we, we probably shouldn't approach God and say, Lord, I'm not going to do anything or go go anywhere. I'm not going to go on any mission trip. I'm not going to whatever. I'm not going to step out and serve unless you show up to me um, in a fire in my tree in the front yard, but not like burn down my tree in my house. You know, um, God is doing other things. He's at work in other ways. So we don't just want to limit God to tradition or to the, to, uh, to what we see going on in other people's lives. We want to be sure that we're aware that he is at work within us and we want to begin to understand okay well then what does it look like for me to then open to what the Lord is doing flip over to v- page 10 halfway through the paragraph starting with the word the or the words of the goal the goal is not to finish this course but to have a life transforming encounter with God as you study these materials you want to experience a person Jesus Christ time meditation and personal application are necessary to allow the Holy Spirit to make Christ real in your life. Now, I highlighted that sentence um, or those sentences because I think it's really important that even though we're cramming a lot of material into each night, um, it's important to note that this book is intended to take a lot more time than than we're taking with it. So that said, I'm going to encourage you guys to do the assignments each week and to actually go through all the material but then to also do it as at a leisurely pace as you're moved by the Lord. Um, each of these these units is broken down into sections, um, and it's basically days. So there's day one, two, three, four, five. It'd be like a weekday study. And so I would encourage you to read through the material to get caught up, but then to also start with day one and to actually do the activities that it talks about in there, the, the prayer projects or the looking up a scripture. Because again, like, all of this is, like I said, it's, this is about you experiencing the person of Jesus. That's what the book is saying as well. That's why school ministry exists, is to equip you, but also to deepen your relationship with Christ. So we don't just want to pass over all that because we're trying to cover material. Uh, we'd be bemissed if we did that. We want to really emphasize, make sure that we encourage you guys to press into this idea of taking time to really sit with this material. That's why we have this half hour at the end as well to begin to um, to just chew on what we're learning. Um, but we want to really encourage you to do that. Jump over to point number four on page 11. And I'm not going to ask for hands on this, but when you come to the Lord Jesus to seek his will for your life, which of the following requests more closely resembles the way you generally ask? Check your response. So this is something you can do when you go back through, but the two options here are, Lord, what do you want me to do? When do you want me to do it? How shall I do it? Where shall I do it? Whom do you want me to involve along the way? And please tell me what the outcome will be. Or is your approach generally what it says there in B? Lord, as you go with me, tell me what to do one step at a time and I will do it. What he goes on to say is, isn't the first response typical? We always ask God for a detailed roadmap. We say, Lord, if you could just tell me where I'm heading, then I'll be able to set my course and go. And he says, you don't need to. You need to follow me one day at a time. This response comes only from those who have learned to walk closely with God and to trust him to care for the details of their lives. We need to come to the place where the second response is ours. Who really knows the way for you to go to fulfill God's purposes for your life? Who knows what, how you can experience abundant life? God. Jesus said, I am the way. Jump down to uh, point five. If you do everything Jesus tells you one day at a time, you will always be in the center of God, of where God wants you to be. Or sorry, will you always be in the center of where God wants you to be? Check your response. No, Jesus does not guide people specifically. No, by seeking to follow Jesus, I could end up going the wrong way. It is much wiser to wait until God tells me all the details before I begin moving my life in a particular direction. Or yes, if I follow Jesus one day at a time, I will be right in the center of God's will for my life. The answer would be 0.4. Did you have a question? yeah no and i and I that's what I do I mean um, to go off on a little rabbit trail for a second there, um I do believe that that there is value to praying to the specific person of the Trinity um, when we're requesting things. Um, for example, it's not appropriate it's actually heresy to thank God for dying on the cross God did not or the, oh, sorry the father I saw it confused like there the father um the father did not die on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. It's appropriate in our prayer and in our worship to exalt Jesus for that. But it wouldn't be. Again, it would actually be heresy to say, thank you, Father, for dying on the cross. Um, It's called patronism. I think I said that right. Yeah, Jack. off the top of my head, I can't think of anywhere where it would say, Ask this of the spirit, yeah, um hmm yeah, but what I would say too is is in thinking about well, what is the role of each person within the godhead um that's where I mean if i'm gonna pray for comfort for somebody i'm gonna I'm gonna go and ask the comforter to comfort them, and that's the holy Spirit um or if I'm, if I'm speaking to God about my sanctification, my transformation, and, and changing me from the inside and changing me on the inside, I'm going to be talking to the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit who's indwelling me and it's the Holy Spirit who's transforming my heart to look more like Jesus. So there's certain things that, that I'm going to pray to certain pe- persons of the Godhead because it's their role. And I think that it's, there's some value in that for us as we do pray specifically to, to, the, to, to the person because it aligns really our heart with, with who God is um, and it reminds our soul of this is, this is what Christ has done for me. This is the job of the Father. This is who the Holy Spirit is. This is what he's doing. yeah absolutely and First Corinthians twelve. Yeah, ask of this uh, I think what you're thinking of is um ask for certain gifts, the greater gifts. Is that what you're referring to? So First Corinthians twelve through fourteen. Yeah. Um yeah, I, I think that God also honors our prayers and he knows our heart's intent as well. I do think that there though that there is value for us when it comes to that. Um and again, like there's certain things theologically that I would encourage us not to say. Like again, Let's ascribe the glory to the son where the glory is due for his sacrifice on the cross. We know that the spirit didn't die on the cross. We know that the father didn't die on the cross, but Jesus did. Not that one's invalid because yeah. And and we'll keep moving after this point, um but you should all come to the Trinity class because we'll discuss more of this. Um one thing to just to make clear, God is one, right? Uh, But he's in three persons. And um, they don't, it's not one dude running around wearing different hats. It's, there's three persons. And so it's not that the father stopped to be the father when the son came to earth. And that now this father and the son have stopped because the spirit's here. All three are still present. We can look in multiple places through scripture to see that. Um, One of them being even the court, the court, heavenly court scene. Uh, the throne room in revelation five where you have the son um, being the lamb and the one who sits upon the throne and they're seen together and both are being glorified by all creation together. Um, But even there we do see an example of there's certain, there's certain words that are ascribed to the Father. There's there's certain words to ascribe to the son. There's certain words that are ascribed to both. But uh, again, this idea of of praying, yes, God's going to honor that. He knows our hearts. I think that there's value for us when it comes to praying specifically to, to the, person in the Godhead whom we're talking to. Um, Last paragraph down here, it says, my primary concern should not be what should I do with my life tomorrow, but what does God want me to do today? As you follow Jesus one day at a time, he will keep you in the center of God's will. Go ahead and flip over to uh, point six here on page 12. There's this passage from Genesis 12. It says, the Lord said to um, Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his, new, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now, what you'll take note of, though, is um, God's command when He says, He just says, "Leave your country, your people, and I will go uh, and go to the land I will show you." So He doesn't give Abram this really detailed uh, picture of what's going to happen. He just says, "Pack up your stuff and go." And Abram, in faith, actually responds with, "Okay." Now, what you've got to remember, though, is that Abram is growing up. He's living um, among paganism. Like his fathers most likely would have been polytheistic in this culture in this time. Um, And Abram may or may not have. We don't know for certain. But he may or may not have been able to acknowledge at this point that this God, um, Elohim, that this God is uh, the only true God. We're not aware of that yet um, because that type of revelation doesn't actually come until later in the Old Testament. Um, And so it's possible that Abram's growing up amongst all these idols and these false gods. And then he gets called by this one God and he goes, sure, I'll follow you. um, And then comes to know him as the one true God. But there is something there about Abram's faith and his faithfulness unto this one God to actually say, okay, you've called me and I'm going to say, yes, I'm going to go. Um, there's something to that for us too in regards to when God calls us and the point of Black Bee bringing this up even in the book is to say sometimes the Lord will call us to things but he won't give us a, a detailed blueprint of what he's actually leading us into. He's simply saying, I want you to go and do this and he's looking for us to say yes to him, to, to trust, to have faith, that, he's, uh, that he has a plan for us, that he's leading us and then to take a step and to continue on this journey. Um, to go off on, on this for a little, a quick little moment. When we were in South Africa, I bungee jumped. I never would have done that here. Um, it was a terrifying experience. It was not fun. You see, when you jump, there's this fun, like, you're waitless for a few moments and then the bungee catches you, and then all the G-forces hit you. And so then as you're, like, going down and you're coming back up, you're like, I'm going to black out or throw up or maybe both. And, uh, and you're just hoping that, like, you stay awake and then don't lose your breakfast on the people below. And then you've got to, like, bounce. And this happens several times. And then they lower you so you've got, like, 200 feet to go to the ground, and you're just spinning in circles because the bungee is kind of coiled up, you know. And so it's unraveling. And so you're just spinning in circles for hundreds of feet until they're able to get you off. Um, so when I finished this, there was cameras there. They were filming, and they like I was met immediately with the camera. What was that like for you? What was your takeaway? And I just threw out a cheesy line, probably because I wanted to get away and, like, try to get my stomach back in my body. And I was like, it was incredible. Um, it was like a total test of my faith and, you know, you've really got to trust that this thing is going to hold you, just like you've got to step into faith and trust that God is there, something like that. Totally like cheesy Christian answer, exactly what you would expect, okay? Um, now, Looking back on that, though, that's exactly what was going on. At the time, I was just like, get the camera away. Like, I think I'm going to puke. Um, but looking back on it, I was like, yeah, it's exactly what, what what was happening there. Because there's this bungee, and it's it's relatively thick, but there's still, like, people have jumped before me. I'm the last one to go in our group. Um, and not only that, but the girl who was up on the, the tower filming us, uh, so there there's cameras on the ground, there was cameras up with us. And the girl who's up on the tower filming with us, she's she's standing up there the, the workers have their music bumping and it's got all these cuss words and uh it's talking about derogatory things about women and stuff and she's like can you please ask them to turn this off and i'm like oh sure and i'm thinking to myself like you don't have to jump 400 feet right now because i'm thinking i'm gonna make these guys angry and then they're gonna not strap me in all the way or they're gonna like let the rope go you know uh as as retribution of making me turn off their music and so like i'm like hey guys can you turn off the music or change it and so they change it um and then you know you, you walk up these stairs and you walk across this bridge and you're in between these two giant towers and you're in the middle of the bridge and these guys are just strapping you in and everything's happening so fast and they start talking really fast and like like checks, you know, and like, they're like checking off the list of things that they have to do, but it's so fast that you don't even know what they're saying and what they've actually done to you. You just know that you can't move. And then they stand you up and they're like, okay, you're ready. Put your arms out and dive. And you're like, okay. And then you look down, there's 400 feet be- beneath you and you're met with the ground, not with water. So if the bungee snaps, it's like, um, the water's not even going to potentially save you because there is none. Um, and so you're like, okay, um, Five people just jumped before me and I, I now have to trust that like this isn't the last the last jump for this bungee cord you know that this thing is actually going to hold me up and I have to trust that these guys weren't that angry at me for asking them to turn their music off and I have to trust that these guys actually know what they're doing like I don't even know what this foot contraption is but I just have to trust that they're that this is all going to hold me that this rope is going to catch me and uh, and then I did I, I, I just you jump but one of the one of the takeaways from that was that sometimes you have to jump, and then you're met with the fact that um, you can trust what's holding you. Um, I believed it was going to, but I didn't have the experience of it. Like it wasn't actualized until I felt it pull back on me, and pull me back out. And I think about too sometimes when when. Uh, like, if we're nervous about going up and giving a speech at work, or if you remember giving a speech at school, it was oftentimes once you stepped on the stage and you started to open your mouth and the words started coming out that the peace then came out. And I believe that there are times where God calls us to step or to begin to speak, to open our mouth. And we're not necessarily met with the direction or the peace that we're hoping for until we do that, until we actually step out in faith and we begin to act as an expression of our yes to him. Um, I think that's kind of what Abram's met with here as well. God calls him out and he just says yes and he goes and he trusts that God's going to, he's going to catch him, that the peace is going to come. He just trusts that the Lord actually is going to do what he said he would do. Let's jump down to um, halfway through under point seven. It says, He is much more likely to ask you to follow him one day at a time than he has to spell out all the details before you begin to obey him. As we continue our study together, you will see this truth illustrated in the lives of many people in the Bible. Even this idea in Luke 9.23 of take up your cross daily and follow me, there is this idea about choosing to follow Jesus daily about us actually saying, yes, today, Christ, today I choose to follow you. Um, Once again, you are my Messiah. And actually making that conscious decision to say, today, yes, today I follow you, Jesus. And uh, and that means I don't need to know all the details about tomorrow, because I'm going to choose to be present with you today. If we're not present with the Lord today and what he's doing, then we're going to miss out on it. If we're worried about tomorrow, and this is even in Matthew 6 when Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Uh, be concerned with the matters of today. I think, you know, for us, if we're concerned, so concerned with all the details of tomorrow, then, then we're going to miss out on what he's doing right in our midst. And so the, we're challenged by this. We're encouraged in this to be present with him today. Philippians 2.13 says, if you cannot agree to these now, Openly confess to your struggles. Um, Ask him to help you, help you to want to do his will in his way. Claim the promise it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So that quote is from Philippians 2.13. Uh, Jumping over to page 13 here, halfway through the paragraph, on the right-hand side it says, you may want to take some notes in the margin each day as you study. I would encourage you as we go through this study to do that, but I also wanted to highlight that fact because as, we, as you go back through these lessons, write down the things that are really jumping out at you um, and then test them with scripture and ask, does this actually align with the word? And there's going to be more on that later, so that's what I want to encourage you with right there. Um, these bullet points right here. It says, after today's lesson, a person might have responded like this What was the most meaningful statement or scripture you read today? Jesus is my way. I don't need a complete roadmap to stay in the center of God's will. Reword the statement of scripture into a prayer response to God. So this is an example he's showing you here. Lord, I will follow you even if I don't know where you're leading. And what does uh, God want you to do in response to today's study? I need to quit worrying about tomorrow and trust Jesus to guide me one day at a time. That might be something that you do um, tonight during this half hour at the the end as you have time to reflect and to respond. Um, So I just wanted to point that out. And again, the point of this this unit that we're gonna be looking at is this idea of abiding, of remaining. Jesus saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the summary statements, as I follow Jesus one day at a time, he will keep me in the center of God's will. Jesus is my way, and I don't need any other roadmap. It's a lot easier to get someplace uh, that you've never been before when you go with somebody who has. Um, There's an example in this book where he talks about this farmer at the church he used to pastor. Um, And this farmer was like, hey, come to my farm. I'm about a quarter mile away from the church. You're going to make a right at this fork. And then after you drive about half a mile, you'll see this red barn. And then you're going to turn left. And then there's going to be a poplar tree. And so after that, you're going to make another right. You're going to take that for." And he just goes on to explain this and he's like, it was so confusing. Eventually I found it. Um, but when he took took the farmer with him, the next time he went to the house and they were driving from I don't know where, but to the farm, they took some other some other route. And he was saying, I never would have been able to get there had it not been for him being in the car with me. I never would have guessed that I could have gotten that way from those streets. Um, and I've, I've thought that many times myself when I've been driving with friends and maybe the map, you know, Google Maps will sh- will pull up certain things on my phone about how to get to that person's house and then I'll be in the car with them and they'll take a completely different route and I'm like, oh, this is way more convenient. I'm going to try to remember this and I never do. But um, that's, you know, that, thi- that feeling or that thought of like, this is this is way better. I'm so glad I'm with somebody who actually knows the way because getting to the final destination is a lot better. When we partner with Jesus each day, when we say yes to him, we're saying yes to the one who already knows. And then we get to go on an adventure. We get to kind of just jump in the car and see where it takes us. Let's flip over to page 14. This is now day two. Halfway through the first paragraph, it says, this should be your guideline. Always go to the Bible and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth of your situation to you. Look to see what God says and how he works in the scriptures. Make your decisions and evaluate your experiences based on biblical truths. When you study the scriptures, do not base your decisions on one isolated verse or story. Look to see how God generally works throughout the scriptures. So when Saul is uh, sent in to destroy the Amalekites, I believe it's 1 Kings 15. Maybe it's 1 Samuel 15, yeah. 1 Samuel 15. Saul is sent in to destroy the Amalekites. And if you um, remember, he ends up being being deemed unworthy as the king because he doesn't obey God's commands. God's commands are to go in and to literally destroy everyone, um, man, woman, child, infant, animal, everything. And he ends up keeping some animals so that they can sacrifice to the Lord. And um and and that's part of why he's not seen to, seen to be fit as king because he's disobedient to the Lord. Now, if you were to read that one verse to go into the land of the Amalekites and kill all the men, women, and children, um, let's say that you happen to be traveling that day and you were taking the scripture out of context. You'd be like, hmm, well, this is like new enemy territory. Maybe I'm supposed to go in and kill people. You can see how extreme this is, but I use this as an extreme example to say, if we don't take scripture in context, if we're just like, mm, let me flip through my Bible today and this verse looks good, um, then we end up misappropriating what scripture is really trying to get at. Um, we're, we're miscontextualizing it. And we can end up doing things that God is not calling us to. Or, or think about if somebody lived their life this way and it was their wedding day, and then they read um, where Paul talks about it's better to be single, and that's all that they read. And they're like, sorry, hon, I'm off the wedding. God told me to be single. Uh, that'd be heartbreaking and so ignorant, but um, um, things like that have probably happened, unfortunately. So we don't just want to flip open our Bible as we're searching for the will of God and, okay, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do, you know, and try to figure out a way that it fits Um, we might be reading through a a chunk of scripture, a section of scripture, and something might jump out at us that maybe the Lord is calling us to. Then what we would want to do is we would want to take that to prayer and to say, God, this really stood out to me. Are you trying to communicate something to me about this? And then to sit with the Holy Spirit as he reveals that. Jump over underneath, what is God's will? That second paragraph. What is God's will for my life? is not the right question. I think the proper question is what is God's will? Once I know God's will, then I can adjust my life to him. In other words, what is is it God is purposing to accomplish where I am? Once I know what God is doing, then I know what I need to do. The focus needs to be on God, not on my life. This is hard for us. This is hard for us in an individualistic society where we're so concerned with me, 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 um, this probably isn't anything new to you guys, but I think it's important to even be reminded of like, oh yeah, the Bible isn't about me. The Bible's about God. In fact, the Bible is not about even the characters that it talks about, um, so much as it is about God. If you think about all the failures that we see in scripture, um, we are met with failures time and time and time again, unless we're talking about God or Jesus, um, Gideon and and Gideon or in Judges chapter 6 when Gideon is called to deliver his people from the hand of the Midianites and he says back to God who am I? I'm just, I'm the the youngest and the weakest in my clan. Who am I to deliver? Israel. And uh, sure enough God ends up delivering Israel from the Midianites through Gideon. Um, Moses is no exception where Moses is like God why me? I'm not fit to do this. Uh, Peter, I won't deny you, and then he denies him. I mean, we're met with these heroes of the faith, but um, isn't it interesting that the Bible isn't concerned with protecting them? Like what we're met with over and over again is the failures of people, but the power of God. When we read all these stories, we can really glean from from the things that these people have done. Um, or, or you know, even if it's a uh, uh, Joshua and he's he does some really weird things in the book of Joshua like walking um walking around Jericho for 7 days and and entering the city that way by walking around it and then shouting and blowing trumpets that's weird stuff the focus there isn't on Joshua it's about how powerful God is and and then secondarily it's going to be about the faithfulness of Joshua to actually you know follow God's commands but the the primary character in this story isn't Joshua it's going to be God And so what we need to do is we need to remember that scripture and about that life, that living, it's not about us, it's not about me, it's not about um, influenced church, it's about God, first and foremost. And so we need to read scripture, we need to understand this idea of God's will from the standpoint, from the viewpoint of this is about you, this isn't about me. Um, and, And so just we need to be reminded of that. Jumping down to the last, last uh, two sentences on the page, Jesus watched to see where his father was at work and joined him. Jesus' approach to knowing and doing the father's will can be outlined like this. The father's been working right up until now. Now the father has me working. I do nothing on my own initiative. I watch to see what the father's doing. I do what, the fa- what I see the father doing. The father loves me and he shows me everything he's doing. The idea here that I want to stress is it's Christ in me. It's not Christ and me. So when it comes to doing the will of God, it's, it, what Jesus is saying here and really what Black Bee is pulling from is, um, is John 5. What he's, what he's saying here is I do what God does. And, I, and Jesus even says time and time again throughout the Gospels, um, I don't do these things in my own power and my own strength. I do them by the strength of God. And, and so the focus even in this, even in Jesus' ministry is on the Father, doing the Father's will, not his own will, doing the things that the Father empowers him to do, doing the things that he sees the Father doing. And so if we follow Jesus' model, that means for us that when it comes to the will of God and understanding the will of God, we, we follow right in line. If Jesus is our rabbi, and we play follow the leader with our rabbi. Then what we need to do is to do the very things that Jesus did. We need to look to the Father and to view the things that the Father is doing, and then do those things. That's what it means to to first off to even be a disciple. It's to take up the very f- in the very footsteps of our rabbi. Um, but this is what Christ does. So to follow in His example, this is what He's doing. And just as it was the Father who was working in and through Jesus. The idea for us now is that Christ through his spirit is at work and he's working in and through us as well. And again, so it's this idea not of Christ and me. It's not that I come to Jesus and I say, all right, uh, what do you need me to do today that you can't do? It's, it's, hey, what are you doing, God? And how can I be a part of that? Um, because you're at work in me and you want to work in me. And you want to work through me. It's not that you need me to accomplish something. It's not Christ and me. It's Christ in me. God is always at work around you. Right now, God is working all around you as well as in your life. One of the greatest tragedies among God's people is that although they deeply long to experience God, they are encountering him day after day, but they do not recognize him. By the end of this course, you will have learned many ways to clearly identify God's activities in and around your life. The Holy Spirit and God's word will instruct you and will help you to know when and where God is working. Once you know where he is active, you will adjust your life and join him in his activity. I think about marriage. Again, I'm gonna kind of reduce things down to this idea of relationship. I think about marriage and I think about, um, or even dating for that matter. Um, And I wouldn't be surprised if you've dated somebody for a long time or if you've been married for a few years, if maybe you didn't for sure know where your spouse was or that person was that you're dating, but you had a good guess like, maybe you know that they always go to the Starbucks on Santa Ana and whatever street on uh, Tuesday afternoons. And uh, let's say that you're at work and you're like, you know what, I'm going to go surprise my wife with flowers. I know exactly where she's going to be. She didn't tell me where she is, but I know exactly where she's going to be. And you drive to that Starbucks and sure enough, she's sitting there. Um, that, that I kind of think about that in, in, con- in, in terms of this. It's, you know, once we know where God is, we can actually go and meet him in that place. If we're aware of how it is that God's working, we can go and say, all right, God, I've got my flowers. I'm ready to do this with you. I know, I know where you're working. I know where you're at. And so now I'm going to join with you in this. So the summary statements for this section over there on the left, the Bible is my guide for faith and practice. The right question is what is God's will? Watch to see where God is working and join him. And God is always at work around me. Yeah, I mean, and to elaborate on that, the whole idea, I mean, marriage is also talked about between Israel, um, like Israel is being prepared as a bride as well in the Old Testament. And so, um, and then of course it's applied to the church. Marital language is hugely significant for trying to explain the mystery of our relationship with the Lord. That's even why I would tap into that tonight, um, is to to remind us, like, this is this is what the Bible says. This is the best... The best uh, type of relationship that we can look at in order to understand what it means to be intimate with Jesus, you know, when we think, I, I'm probably not going to be able to get through all this tonight, which is okay. You guys can, you know, do that on your own as well. But I, when I think, when I think about, say <laughs> so you want a refund? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, when I think though about doing the will of. God, and the fact that this comes through intimacy with Christ, we can make such a big deal about like, oh, I don't know what God's will is. Um, we know that it's it's the will of God to be in relationship with the Son, and if we are intimate with the Son, then we're going to be seeing what God is doing. Um, and again, that's why I don't I don't want to just simplify it to like, well, it's intimacy with the Son, but at the same time, it is just that. If we want to know what God's will is, that looks like knowing God um the will of god is that all people would be saved that's one thing that we know uh and, and then we we can combine that with what we read earlier john 17:3 this is um eternal life that we would know god the father and jesus christ whom he has sent like the the direction for our lives and, and even knowing like what is sin and what is not what is good what is not all of those things are going to come through just knowing jesus and that's it, again it seems really simplified but there's so much truth to that Let's try to get through day three before we break. Sound good? Okay. Um, second paragraph here. In his instruction to his disciples about servanthood, Jesus, the Son of Man, describes his own role of service in this way: Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first uh, who wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to, ser- to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when we're talking about what does it look like for me to even partner with God, to serve God, it looks like us being willing to lay down our life, of course, um, and to not approach God from this this standpoint of what can you do for me. Um, we we don't go to God and, and do that. Again, to liken it to a relationship, I think that a relationship would be awfully unhealthy if— um, you or if it, if your spouse was coming to you all the time saying, "What can you do for me? What can you do for me? What can you do for me?" Um, and here, meanwhile, like let's say that you've literally given everything that you already had. I, I think about that in terms of Jesus. It's like what what more could He give us but His life? And so to approach Him from that from that position of what what can you do for me, God? What can you do for me? Um, I feel like he would probably look at us and say, oh, my child, don't you know? I've already given you everything. I've already done it all for you. Um, but come and do this with me now. I want to invite you into this. This is what I'm doing. And and this is how I'm sharing what you've received with other people. Um, God works, however, through his servants. Uh, and then he talks about this this idea of potter and clay. So point number one da- down there at the bottom the clay has to be molded. It has to be responsive to the potter so that he can make it into an instrument of his choosing. And two, the clay has to remain in the potter's hand. So he's talking about over here, Jeremiah eighteen one through six on the side. It says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping was from the clay was marred in his hands, So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as His potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Now this is coming from, obviously, a book of prophecy since it's Jeremiah. Um, but the the idea here that's being teased out is if we are the clay, then God can do with us as he would desire. And he can take us and begin to make something. And as honestly, as we get in the way and we start to get marred by even our own doings, um, he then can reshape that, and he's shaping us, um, and if we are moldable clay, then, then he's shaping us to do his will. If you have ever spun a pot before or tried to make something even out of Play-Doh, um, you know that like it's, it's a lot nicer when the Play-Doh or the pot, whatever, when it cooperates with you if it's not as hard as a rock, and if you can actually shape it, if you don't have to work it that hard, if you don't have to go and heat it up first or something like that, if you can just break into it and start doing stuff with it, then you can actually do with it, make it into what you wanted it to be. And so th- that's what God is doing with us as well. Is he's shaping us and reforming us so that we can be used for his purposes, for, for the things that he would have us be used for. Jump over to page 18. Um, halfway through, literally about halfway on the page, it says the Son can do nothing by Himself. That's John five nineteen. This is saying that Jesus in, um, in His humanity, He could not do anything. Now, it's important to remember that Jesus is fully God and fully human. And at this point, um, He's not operating out of His divinity. Philippians 2 tells us that He took on flesh humility. Um, and humility. And literally He becomes like us. He's He's therefore weak. Um, he's limited. Uh, his divinity certainly is not, but in his humanity, he is because that's part of being human—is that there's limitations in, in our humanity. And so Jesus literally he says, I, you know, not, like the son cannot do anything by himself." Um, the same is true for us, and this is what Jesus tells his disciples later. Same book, but John fifteen to five. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We've already talked about that a little bit, but that's going to be a theme that continues to come up. Page nineteen. Actually, um, it's, it's yeah, page 19. It's it's talking about First Kings 18. This is the story of Elijah when Elijah is uh, combating the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And so Ahab um, comes to Elijah, and Elijah says, hey, gather up all the people of Israel on this mountain and gather up all the prophets of Baal. Um, and there's about 850 prophets of Baal. And ba- so Baal is... This uh, false god, who the people of Israel were beginning to worship due to Jezebel, uh, an evil queen. Um, and so they gather up all the prophets of Baal, 850 of them, and they gather up uh, the prophets of Israel, all one of them. Kind of a joke because later on we find out that Elijah is not the only prophet, but he's the only prophet present here at this time. And I think it's interesting that he says gather up the people of Israel as well. And so we don't know how many people of Israel actually come to watch the showdown, but apparently there's people from Israel who have also gathered on this mountainside. So there's probably a couple thousand people who are gathered together to watch the showdown. And I mean, 850 people, that's a lot of people. That's like filling this thing up, taking all the chairs out and um, having wiggle room, but like just packing people into the sanctuary And then having like one guy over here and they've got their altar and they're cutting themselves and they're crying out to their God and they're asking for fire from heaven to fall down. And meanwhile, you've got Elijah who's kicking back sipping a Coke and he's like, Hey, why don't you yell louder? Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's asleep. Um, he can't hear you. And so they start crying out louder and and they do it all day long. And, um, and the deal was that the God who answered by fire was the true God. And so the showdown was, is Baal the true God or is it Yahweh who's the tr- true God? And so um, Elijah is just a total smart aleck. It's really funny. He's totally mocking these prophets of Baal. He's got this crowd he's watching as well, apparently. And then it's his turn. And he says a very simple prayer. And, and prior to doing that, he soaks the wood with water and he builds a, he digs a trench around it or a little moat around this altar that he's constructed. And he fills that up with water. Um, and if you didn't know, wet wood doesn't burn too well. And yet, after his very simple prayer to the Lord, fire from heaven falls down and consumes the entire offering, all of the wood, and licks up the water that's in this moat. And consequently then he puts to death all the prophets of Baal because they're false prophets. And part of the Deuteronomic law is that if you were a false prophet, you'd be put to death. Now, Elijah is putting his life on the line here. What he said could have cost him his life because he was claiming that Yahweh is this one true God. He's got all these forces against him, so it wouldn't have taken much to overpower this guy. He's literally putting his life on the line. He's saying, all right, God, you've got to come through because even, even though we already knew that Baal wasn't a true God, and that Yahweh is the only true God, what if Yahweh hadn't chosen to answer in that moment? Um, probably they would have said, well, your God's not real either, so either we both have to die, or um, there's more of us than there are you, so we're just going to kill you anyway, or we both go on our merry way. But he puts his life on the line here, and he wants the people to know that Yahweh is the true God, and that no other God is. And that's there's this idea of servanthood within that as well, of, God, I, I'm going to give myself, one second, I'm going to give myself fully to you, be willing to die for you because I want people to know that you are the one true God. So badly I'll lay down my life, literally lay down my life. I'll be willing to, to give it up. But that's how badly I want people to know you. And again, this idea that what is the Father's will? The Father's will is that all people would come to know him, that no one would would uh, would be damned, but that all would be saved unto eternal life. Yeah, and hopefully we won't be uh, met, well, in America by um, 850 prophets of Baal anytime soon. Simply because we want our nation to be saved. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's a the old joke too of the the person who you know the the tsunami is washed in and like there there's a huge flood and they're sitting on top of their house and. Um, somebody in a raft comes by, hey, do you want to jump in the raft so you can be saved? And they're like, oh, no, God will save me. And then a boat comes by, hey, jump in the boat. And they go, oh, no, God will save me. And then a helicopter comes by and they lower down a ladder and come on up, climb up, climb up before the waters take you. No, no, God will save me. And then the person drowns and he gets to heaven. And he says, why didn't you save me? And God's like, I sent you a raft, a boat, and a helicopter, you dummy. Um, of course, that's a joke. God probably wouldn't call you a dummy. But there's that idea certainly within all this as well. Now there's this right above right above 6 the last sentence or last two sentences when God did something only he could do all the people knew he was the true God God convinced the people of his powerful presence through his obedient servant Elijah did not make fire from heaven fall down That was not his job he did not have the power the ability to do that um God did that What Elijah was responsible for was saying, yes, I I, I will do this. Um, and I'm going to trust, Lord, that you will do this. But it's important for us to note that when it comes to serving God, it's not that we have to become Christ on the cross. Um, he's already done that. Like he He has already done all of this work and we get to partner with him in that and we get to watch as his glory falls down. But we just, what's important is that we say yes. Now, that said, jump down to you. Don't just do something. So this idea of um, in our culture, we feel like we always need to be doing something. And there's this idea of don't just do something. Or, uh, um, don't just stand there, sorry. Do something. Um, in contrast, I think God is crying out to us, don't just do something, stand there and turn into a love relationship with me. Get to know me, adjust your life to me. Let me love you and reveal myself to you. Um, through you to a watching world. There's this idea as well of of not just doing but of being. It's important that we don't get so caught up in doing for God that we forget what it looks like or what it means to be in Christ. Uh, that's where our identity truly is. Our identity is is rooted, and we talked about this in the last class a little bit as well. But our identity is rooted in who we are in Jesus. And while it while it's great, and I don't want us to stifle anybody's spirit in the room of like wanting to get out there and go save the world for Jesus that's incredible and and yes you know pray about that and see what the Lord would have for you in that Um, but the temptation there will be to become all about going and doing and not about being with the Lord and so even as a part of this there's this idea of well how do we couple what is God's will for the world and what is God's will for me in ministry with what does God want to also do in my spirit how is he working to transform me in my heart as well some of the summary statements over here, to be a servant of God, I must be moldable and remain in the master's hand. And apart from God, I can do nothing. God can do anything through me. And when I find out where the master is working, then I know where I need to be. I come to know God by experience as I obey him. And as he accomplishes his work through me, because he does, he wants to accomplish his work through us. And he invites us into that. Um, it's, it's kind of like the, the father who invites his son to come and wash the car with him. Even though the dad knows that washing the car is just going to take longer because the kid's going to spray the car after it's dry, or he's going to get soap suds on it again, or he's going to spray the dad with the hose. And the dad knows if I, if I invite my son outside, it's going to take twice as long and I'm going to end up wet um, and needing to change my clothes as opposed to just knocking out the car and being able to stay in what I'm wearing. Um, But the dad doesn't invite the son out because he needs his help. Again, it's probably just gonna make things more complicated and take longer. The dad invites the son outside to wash the car with him, to build relationship, to allow the son to to learn, to grow, to participate in something that the father's doing. And so God does it with us as well. He wants to accomplish his will through us, not that he needs us, but he invites us in to do this with him in relationship with Christ. Let's break and uh literally we're going to be sticking to a stricter stricter uh timeline for this class so 10 minutes that's 802 people we have a lot of material to cover so be back at 802